Welcome back to the E5 Podcast. I'm Rob LaRue, and if you're joining us again this week, you're either a glutton for punishment or you really liked what you heard last week, and we didn't scare you off too much. Uh, I'll let my other co-hosts uh, introduce themselves. Pastor, if you would. I'm Pastor David Willis, and uh, we are really glad you are still tuning in with us going into week four now. And I'm Robbie Willis, and uh, thanks again for joining us. Man, right after the podcast ended last week, the glory of God fell in the room. We spent the next hour or so rejoicing and praying and just listening to God. And I thought, man, if we hadn't cut the recording, people would have sure enough thought we were as crazy as we are. Absolutely. But I don't think uh, anybody would want to have listened to uh, a (laughs) two-hour podcast when half of it is us just running around praising God. (laughs) Shouting in tongues, and <laughs> I think I think you're probably you're probably onto something there. We uh, we are excited about what God is doing in our in our area throughout the Arkansas River Valley. Amen. And uh, excited yes. for what's coming up. Today's podcast uh, is going to be dealing with the whole issue of what is the nature of salvation. That that right. was last week we talked about the Jerusalem Council, and that is. That is something that came to the forefront of the Jerusalem Council is what what is the nature of salvation itself. In a second, I'm going to give us a quick recap of the relevant scriptures there. But uh, Rob, David, do either of y'all have reflections you want to offer as we get ready to, uh, to dive into that? I just wanted to say thank you to uh, everyone out there that's been coming to us and telling us uh, that they've been listening to the podcast. Yeah. Had several people mention uh, last week's was their favorite episode, and uh, we're going to try to keep building on that. Thank you for tuning in to us. Uh, I encourage you to keep doing that if uh, if you're able, not because we think we're anybody, yeah. but just because it helps us to keep putting stuff out there for our local body and people. And uh, we really enjoyed last week's study ourselves about the Jerusalem Council and uh, enjoyed going somewhere together. That's what this is about. So, Pastor Rob? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm loving all the feedback that we're getting from the podcast, loving the feedback we're getting from people. Uh, not only within our church, but within our, our other church communities that we're, we're friends with and connected with, talking about how um, they're, they're excited about what God is doing in their church and that they're hearing what God is doing in our church. And, and you know, the Lord's moving. And uh, there's, just no, there's just no doubt about it, that, that God is, is on the move. He's doing big, big things here in 2023. And I don't expect it to go anywhere but up. Absolutely. Rob, you're the one that names our our podcast, and you named episode three, Jerusalem, We Have a Problem. (laughs) And there's reasons why I don't assign title names, because that's not my my gift. I don't have that clever nature. But I thought this is really part two of that podcast, and there will be a part three. Uh, So if I was going to name it, it'd be real simple, Jerusalem, We Still Have a Problem. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, let's review real quick. So to recap, in Acts chapter 15, the, the church, the New Testament church is growing and expanding to new cultures, new people groups, new areas. Uh, and as this is happening, the, the Christian church had began as a uniquely, with a uniquely Jewish identity. That is, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Right. He's the long-awaited one that the Old Testament scriptures had foretold. And so initially, the church is, is uniquely Jewish. As 
the message of Christ began to travel into mm-hmm. new areas. The Samaritans had been saved in Acts 8. They're, they're kind of a cousin, you might say, to the Jews. We won't want to dive too far into all that, but there's still a lot of commonality between them, even though there was definitely a big dispute between them. But in Acts 10 and following, the gospel goes to the Gentile world. And so the question began to arise, and we, we, we dove into this at length in the last podcast, what does it mean now to be saved? And so there were those among the Jews, we call them Judaizers. Paul sometimes didn't use words that nice. He called them mutilators in some of his later uh, later letters. Right. Um, but, but it's all referencing these people that, that really were concerned that if Gentile Christians, if the men were not circumcised after the law of Moses, that they would not be able to be saved. Or if they didn't keep the Jewish dietary laws, they didn't eat a kosher diet, they didn't observe the Sabbath in the same way as the Jews did, their salvation was calling the question. So last week we took kind of a holistic view of the Jerusalem Council. This week we want to dive into this question at length, what does it mean to be saved? So Acts 15, verse 1, some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised in the tradition of Moses, you cannot be saved. So just to make it real clear, because that's not the issue we're facing in, in Christianity today, but there are still issues. What these teachers were claiming is that salvation is Jesus plus circumcision. So I want you to fill in the blank. Jesus plus whatever your unique conviction is, if we're not careful, becomes the standard for salvation. Paul and Barnabas has no small dissension and dispute with them. So they call the councils called and all the church leaders gather in Jerusalem to discuss this. Now, down, if you're following along in verse 6, the apostles and elders assembled to consider this matter. After much disputing, Peter rose up and said to them, Brothers, you know that some time ago God decided among us by my mouth that Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Verse 8, God, who knows the heart, approved of them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Now, the them in this passage are those who do not hear the law of Moses, those who were not circumcised, those who had not converted to to, to Judaism. Peter is saying, God who knows the heart approved of them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And maybe we'll come back to that a little bit later. Why why is he referencing the giving of the Holy Spirit? But I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Verse 9, and made no distinction between them and us and purified their hearts by Now, verse 11 is beautiful, and I'm I'm passing by verse 10, Knox, it's unimportant, but verse 11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. It's interesting that Peter flips the language. It would have seemed more natural for him to say, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be saved even as we do. But he says it backward. We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus, we shall be saved even as they. The reason Peter is pointing that out is because some of those this debate is happening with seem to think they had advanced standing with God. That they were more qualified for salvation than the Gentiles were. Peter is erasing all that and saying God knows our hearts and the grace of God gives us salvation just like the grace of God gives them salvation. And then everybody goes silent and they begin to listen to Barnabas and Paul uh, 
sharing what God had done among the Gentiles. This whole conversation as it forwards, the, the question at the center is, what does it mean to be saved? Uh, talk to me, men. What what comes up in your heart as you think about this? And then, Dave, take us a little deeper into that topic when you're ready also. I think the amazing thing is um, that Peter, with all of the knowledge and the firsthand account that he has of Christ, literally stands before a group of men that, in their mind, uh, the debate, quite frankly, at this point, is that still only Jews could be saved. Correct. And Peter says, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, right. I've seen this. I experienced this. And even almost in one way says, with I'm going to paraphrase, but what you just explained, I hope we get saved like they do, where we don't see it as, hey, we're the only ones that can. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let us be let us be understanding that, hey, this is for everyone. And so that's something we'll we'll build on that's a little good. more. But uh Rob, do you have anything there before we go into what it does mean to be saved? To me, um <clears throat> the only thing that I can add to that beyond what you guys have so beautifully said is um, you know, the Bible makes it very clear. Uh, it doesn't use language indicating partiality. It doesn't use language indicating um, that that pe- some people are good and some people are bad and this one needs this. The Bible makes it very clear that all have sinned and right. all fall short of the glory of God. The Bible also makes it very clear that the wages of sin are death, um, you know, Yes, wages is starting to become a term that we don't really use a whole lot in 2023. So maybe for some of our younger younger listeners, it's like this. When you go to work at a job, you expect to get a paycheck. So he's saying the paycheck for your sin right. is death. Uh, you know, you, this is what you've planted. So this is what you're going to grow. This is what you're going to reap. This is what you're going to earn. And it doesn't say that there's any exception to that rule. That's right. Except for right. salvation, which is found through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his atonement uh, for us. That's good. Amen. I think if we, uh, as we begin to build this platform sure. uh, today, Pastor Robbie, when we talk about what does it mean to be saved, uh, I, I read a little example one time, uh, and Pastor Rob set us up really well right there by talking about sin. But whether we like it or not, since the fall of, of mankind with Adam and Eve, this is a sin-filled world. Sure, right. Uh, nobody had to teach me to sin. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, no one came and said, hey, let's have a discussion about how to sin. My nature was that I knew how to do things that were wrong. Right. Just as no one taught me to lie or anything else, nature inside of me taught me to do that. It was the principles of my uh, father's belt and God that taught me that those things were not okay. Okay. Uh, But I thought of a little story I heard one time or read in an article about a woman that she went to mail her tax return off. When she went to mail her tax return off, she went down to the local um, IRS, I'm sorry, to the local post office. And when she got down there, she dropped it in and she she left. Months later, she got a letter from the IRS that said, we've not received your tax return. What you know? What's the deal? What's going on? She went back down to the post office and said, hey, I dropped that in here. She showed the lady and the lady said, ma'am, I'm sorry. That's the suggestion box. You dropped your you dropped your tax return in the suggestion box instead of the mailbox. And so it was late. Now, 
she's a good woman. She didn't mean to do this, but the IRS decided that she was still late. She was still delinquent and still had to be held accountable for being delinquent. Right. Right. We in ourselves, according to scripture, are not able to be good without Christ. And so we have to understand that though we can sit here and we can say, man, I do a lot of good things. I'm a good person. I don't do this. I don't do that. What we consider, and and that's kind of where we mess up a lot of times is we want to characterize or judge sin. Sin is, you know, oh, this is a big sin. This is a little sin. I, I I don't have a major glaring thing going on here, but I got this thing that no one knows about. Sin is sin, regardless, in a way. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, The nature of what it causes or effects of it around us are different, but we are not good enough to just be good in this world. Right, right. And so when we start talking about what is salvation, we, much like the little woman, we can have every intentions of being good and doing the best that we can, but through what is in this world, sin nature, we are not good enough ourselves. So we needed a Savior. We needed Christ to come and build us a bridge, and He did that through the cross. Now, we're building a foundation uh, of what is salvation, and I said just a little bit of preliminary stuff to say this. The best description that we can talk about, or the best way to understand it, at least taught to me, is, of course, in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse number 13. Let's give this very simple uh, description, but it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. So there's four things I want to show us right here, and and I'm going to do them quickly because I know we're we're time limited when we do these podcasts, and uh, we have intended for everyone to be about 30 to 40 minutes, and everyone has been longer than that. And we are Pentecostal preachers, and when you put three guys that are Pentecostal preachers talking about one thing, uh, it's going to be hard. (laughs) uh, we, We try the best we can for those of you that wish they were 30 minutes, okay? So the first thing we see in this, though, is it says this, for everyone. Brother Robbie, this does not disqualify anybody. Amen. I think when we talk about salvation, what does it mean to be saved? We have to understand first that there was no, this was not, there is no way to disqualify someone for being white, black, uh, whatever their race is, whatever their ethnicity is. Even in our uh, mission statement and and the who we are of our church, we have Put, that we will build a home that is full of diversity. And 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 uh, Chelsea Brazel took a picture in our church not too long ago where she took it with several of our college students. Yeah. And you look at the diversity of people yeah, from man. different nations in one building, under yeah. one church, yeah. a house, under one roof. Why? Because salvation was not limited to anybody. Praise it is God. for everyone. Right. So the first thing we realize about salvation is this. It's for everyone. That's right. good. The second thing I see about this in this scripture is this. It says, who calls on the name of the Lord? Which means that even though it is for everyone, you and I have a responsibility to play in that. We have to call upon the name of the Lord. It is not that it's not that salvation is just going to come jump on us. We're not just going to wake up and, oh man, I'm saved. It says we must call upon the name of the Lord. What does that look like? Father, I know I have sinned and fallen short. I want to receive your son into my life. I call upon your name right now. Wash me, cleanse me, let me become yours. However that prayer sounds, but in one way or another, we shall call upon the name of the Lord. I had a dear friend years ago that told me that one time in the midst of battling his drug addiction, he said, I'd gotten extremely messed up. I was in a bad place. And he said, I 
I knew what to do. He said, but in this moment, I really truly thought I was fixing to die. And he said, the only word I could get out of my mouth was Jesus, Mm. Jesus. And he said, in just a few minutes, I felt something different. He said, I felt that, what was that high? What was that that was there? It began to decrease and go away. And he said, it was in that moment that I realized that God brought back to my spirit that very thing for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. And he said, when I begin to call, guess who showed up? Aren't you glad that one, it's for everyone, but two, it's not complicated. It's not hard. We can call upon the name of the Lord. And that simple calling upon him begins to move inside of us. So so the first two things about what does it mean to be saved? It's for everyone. If it's for everyone, how does everyone do it? There's no way you can do it that I can't do it. We call upon the name of the Lord. It's that simple. We call upon the name of the Lord. So there's no secret path, no secret doorway. It's not the line, which in the wardrobe, we're not going to find something in the closet somewhere that we can sneak through. Okay. It is simple. We call upon the name of the Lord. Now in that, it says this, did I get that right? Did I make a good reference? They're so proud of me because I made a good reference. That's right. (laughs) About something I know nothing about mostly too. So we see for everyone, it's for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. What is the name of the Lord? Jesus. We just said it a minute ago. We can't call upon any other name. That's right. We can't call upon any other religion. There's people out there, and you would have the proper terminology, that that think that uh, as long as you're serving a God, that we're okay. Well, it's not that. There's only one. There's only one Savior. There's only one man that came and died on a cross for us. I've said this over and over. In any other religion, it's about what you can do for the religion. In our Christianity, because I don't believe this is just a religion, in our Christianity, it's about what Christ Jesus done for us. So when I call upon the name of the Lord, I'm not calling upon any name. I'm calling upon Jesus. I'm calling upon Christ Jesus, the name to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so there's three things that we see so far, and this is this is what they are. It's for anybody yes. that's willing to call upon the name. What is the name? The name is Jesus. So how do I get saved? I admit that one, I'm a, I'm a somebody. I, I can be anybody. I can yeah. be an everyone. I have to call upon the name of the Lord, which means I use my mouth, my heart. I, I do believe that there's people that probably get saved and brother Robbie, they never open their mouth, but in their heart and in their mind, they're saying the things that they need to be saying. Right. You can't you tell an excellent story that uh, maybe you'll share sometime in, in another podcast or this one about a good friend of yours that got saved in a coma. And Absolutely. you said very well, could not speak, could not talk, but knew the spirit of the Lord was there oh, and yeah. confessed it over and over that he got saved in a coma. Yeah. And so I know full well that God does things like that. Oh, amen. And so we see that first, I must admit that I am a somebody that I can call upon the name of the Lord, be it however that is. That name is Jesus. There is no other name. And then this last part is is something uh, Rob's going to touch on in just a little bit. But it says this word. It does not say you might be, you could be, or you possibly would. It says you shall be saved. That's right. Which means... It's done. At that moment, when I call upon the name of the Lord, when I accept that, hey, I'm a somebody, I can call upon the name of Christ Jesus. In that moment, when I pray that prayer of repentance, guess what? I'm saved. It's not a, hey, he might save you. It's not a, well, God will have to have a meeting in heaven and see if they can discuss it and make sure you make the role. It says they shall be saved. And so what does it mean to be saved? As simple terms as this, if you're somebody out there or you're anybody out there and you're listening to this or you come across it, 
you qualify, you make the role. All you have to do is ask for the name of the Lord to come into your heart. And you say, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart. Yeah. And scripture says, once you've done that, you shall be saved. Man, that's good. What do Robbie add? If I could just share that story. Real Please, quick, do. That you just yeah, Please do. I've shared that actually in lots of, of funeral settings <laughs> and with people that were grieving the loss of a loved one. This is why. So in 2004, I met the individual you're referring to. I was preaching a, a crusade at the Johnson County Fair building here. And he came out to each night of that, but he never made a move for salvation. Now, I want you to fast forward with me about 10 years. I never saw that man again for the next decade. I was doing, I was working pest control and termite work here in the area, and I came into an individual's house to do their 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 quarterly service, and he asked me, do you remember this individual? His name is Dwayne. He was an older man, and I said, I do, and he said, well, he said, he is in the hospital, and he has great respect for you, and if you would go visit him, I think that would be great. Well, it was interesting to me because really my only encounter with him had been in those services. Yeah. And we visited. So I go down to Johnson Regional Medical Center here in Clarksville and uh, I walked down and, and knocked on the door and he said, come in. And I and I asked him, I said, sir, do you, do you remember me? And he said, I do. You're Robbie, right? I said, yes. He said, sit down. Now, when you've, uh, as I had swollen by about 50 pounds and aged <laughs> by about 10 years by that point, you got to make sure people know who you are. And he said, son, I'd like to tell you a story. In 2004, I came to hear you preach. He said, I was very moved, but I did not give my life to Christ. And he said, I never gave my life to Christ after that. He'd fallen sick, had some heart issues, and he was in a coma. And he said, everybody believed I couldn't hear them, but he said, I was conscious of what was going on in the room, even though I was in a coma. But he said, this is the story I want to tell you. He said, I saw myself descending into hell. And he said, as I was falling into hell, I looked up and I saw a man dressed in white. And he said oh, to my. me, Dwayne, my name is Jesus. Oh, wow. And I want to save your soul. Jesus. Will you let me save you? And he said, I cried out to God in my coma. And I said, save me, Lord. Yeah. I want my sins forgiven. I want to serve you. And he said, when I opened my eyes out of my coma, the first words I said to my family in this room was, I have given my life to the Lord Praise Jesus the Lord. Christ. Hallelujah. And he said, Brother Robbie, I, I just wanted to be able to tell you. Now, I'm going to tell you that mess with my theology a little bit because I've preached all my life, whosoever calls yeah. mm -hmm. on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and right. I thought, well, how can you be saved in a coma if you can't call? And then I remembered that mute people can be saved, yeah. right? So the, the, the spirit behind what is being said there is what's important. Now, should you wait you're here in a coma, please don't. That's dangerous. Let's do it now. But, but, <laughs> but the, the point of that story is in line with what you're saying about salvation. From the heart, Romans 10 says, man believes unto righteousness. Yes. With the mouth, confession is made unto repentance. So, so we've got to cry out to God. But thank God, I'm going to tell you, if he had died in that coma, a lot of folks would have said, well, Dwayne's lost. That's right. Now, here's what I've told lots of people. I believe the only way to salvation is through Jesus. Mm -hmm. But we are very foolish to actually believe we know every person's heart because Jesus reveals himself to people sometimes and we don't even know, we don't know. what happened. Amen. Right. You know, honestly, uh, Brother Robbie, that was that's a powerful testimony. Brother Robbie, I'm fixing to pitch it over to you um, as we look at this text together, and we're still looking at Acts 15, the whole debate about 
how do we know we're saved? That's literally what's going on here. Are the Gentiles saved or are they not? That's the debate. And we're sitting here and we're telling you today that uh, as Gentiles, uh, we wouldn't be here if Gentiles weren't saved. We are saved. Uh, we know it's for everyone. We know we got to call upon the name of the That's Lord. Uh, the Lord is Christ Jesus. And that yes. last part says, you shall be saved. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things that we debate and we we struggle with as Christians at times is, how do I know that I know that I know? Yeah. How do I know that I know that I know that right. I'm saved? Yeah. I've even had the most secure of people in faith that I have sat under. When it comes that time, look at me and say, how do I know that I know that I'm ready? Sure. Brother Rob, can you build on that for us? Can Absolutely. you take us somewhere there? Absolutely. So with, with one of the things that I like to try and teach our students, uh, I, I started this when we did youth ministry, and we still do it now. It's a way to evangelize and a way to, to teach the gospel in a clear, concise way. And I'm going to amend part of that and only talk about certain portions of that because they're the only things that are relevant to this sure. part of uh, assurance. But we always start out with two questions. Hey, can I ask you a question? Suppose you were to die today. Have you come to the place in your life? Have you come to the place in your life that you know you would go to heaven? And people always have to answer that question. And I follow it up with a little bit of a follow-up question. On a scale of 1 to 100. Yeah. And I, I've gotten all kinds of things. I've gotten, right. I've gotten ten. I've gotten twenty. I've gotten, uh, I've got ninety nine. Uh, you know, uh, I've even gotten a couple one hundreds. Yeah. And, and so, but my point is, if you're not a hundred percent sure, then we need to address something here. That's we need good. to talk about something. Yeah. Because I believe that our eternal soul is not something that we want to roll the dice with or gamble with. That's uh, right. Uh, you know. I'm 99% sure. Well, there's a still 1% chance and you're taking a a, a pretty big risk with your 1%. And so we need to discuss this. We need to talk about this. And I will admit that I grew up in an assembly of God church and I struggled often with this, this, this thought of, okay, how do I know that I know that I know that I'm, I'm saved because the church that I grew up in did a fantastic job of preaching that Jesus was the only way to heaven. And I believed that and I knew that. And it's not that my pastor failed to teach me. Mm -hmm. It's that I failed to comprehend that God's grace is sufficient to cover a multitude of sins. And I would think that, uh, you know, if if I did one little thing, I've blown it all. I would think that if I stubbed my toe on a Monday, well, there goes all the hard work that I did yesterday in church. And and I felt as though I had, uh, when we were talking about this beforehand, Brother Robbie, I think coined this term and I love it. I I felt like I had unconditional unassurance, unsecurity. You know, I, I felt like there was no way that I could do this and I could not live up to the idea of being good enough. Come on. And man, did I struggle with that. And it was in my mid twenties, if I'm being completely honest. Now I, I want to point that out. Some people who know my testimony, I started preaching when I was in my, my early teens, 12, 13 years old, very similar to pastor Robbie and pastor David. Uh, so I I'd been preaching for over a decade at this point and yet still struggled with the idea of, am I 
assured in my salvation. And then I encountered uh, Ronnie Hoover, who is the head of Chi Alpha at the University of Arkansas, who asked me these questions uh, for the very first time and taught me this, this technique that I teach. And when I sat down and I wrote my answer to the one through 100, I couldn't put 100. Come on. And he began to teach me sure. uh, how they teach people to evangelize. And he talks about how every Christian denomination believes five things in common, heaven, man, God, Jesus, faith. And I really want to talk about those last two yeah. of this. We've addressed in, in small part the first three, heaven, man, and God. You know, heaven's a free gift. It can't be earned or deserved. Man is a sinner. We cannot save ourselves. God is faithful, but he's also just. He loves us. He wants us to get into heaven, but he can't just let us in because right. he's just, right? So that presents a problem. You've got man on one side, God on the other. How do we reconcile that? Pastor David brought it up. Jesus. Jesus is the bridge Lord. between the two. That's it. Jesus is the bridge between man and God. Amen. And and yeah. it's wonderful to have a bridge, but what do I do with a bridge if I don't know how to cross it? Right. Well, that comes to my fifth point, and the one I really want to talk about is faith. Yes, that's good. And we're not talking about temporal faith. And we all know what temporal faith is. If you've ever spent time in school, you know what temporal faith is. You sit down, your teacher says, pop quiz. And you begin to go, oh Lord, I didn't study last night. I watched that marathon of, of, of Saved by the Bell instead of uh, uh, paying attention to my, yeah. my math homework. Jesus Dear Lord, help me. <laughs> Give me divine inspiration, God. And you take that test and you finish and you turn the paper over and you put your pencil down and now how good is your faith yeah it's useless because it's over wow. there's you don't need it anymore that's temporal faith that's temporary faith yeah. god is talking about real substantial faith and what does that mean that means transferring my trust from myself yeah. to jesus christ right. in other words it's not about me yeah. it's not about how good i can be it's about how good he is. That's and true. it's about the promises of his word. Yeah. It's about what he did on the cross. It's about the fact that in Galatians, where when we come to Christ, our soul receives the spirit of adoption and we cry out, my, my. Abba, Father, Amen. in modern English, Daddy God. Yeah. And we call out to him and, and he receives us. And we were talking not too long ago about adoption, Pastor Robbie, and you've definitely got some experience with that. Uh, it, we talked about uh, how wonderful it is uh, when, you, when you have this moment of adoption. And I began to think of, man, it's really, really great to go out and adopt a child. But when you think about the child who says, they chose me. Powerful. Yeah. It's one thing to choose somebody, but to be chosen. Yeah. That that is something that just grabbed hold of my heart Powerful. in a powerful Amen. way. And you shared uh something that I want to build on. Uh, because I think it goes really well with this assurance. Yeah. You shared with me about part of that adoption process and and birth certificates and how they issue decrees. Yeah. And I wondered if you could share that for this podcast because I think it's so powerful. I'd love to. So I, I have six kids and three of those are uh came into our family through adoption. And when a child is adopted in the state of Arkansas. Just so people heard you right, that was six kids, folks. <laughs> he wasn't joking. As six. in like four, five, six. <laughs> six. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Six six kids. Um, I drive a 15-passenger bus that says <laughs> Real Family Adventures on the side of it. Um, and everybody looks at me and laughs when we drive by. Three of my children came to us through adoption. 
And when we adopted our, our first two children, uh, Robert and Jasmine, they're, they're a sibling group, they're, they're biological siblings. At that point, I was somewhat new to the whole adoption process. But what I learned through that is in the courtroom, they did the, they had their adoption in the judge's chambers, and he asked me a set of questions. He said, Mr. Willis, to finalize this adoption, I need your agreement for some things. He said, do you under, he said, do you agree and understand that by adopting these children, you give them an irrevocable right to inherit from you? And I said, yes, your honor, I do. Now, I can disinherit a biological child in the state of Arkansas, but I cannot disinherit an adopted child in the state of Arkansas. He said, do you understand that by adopting these children, we will reissue birth certificates that will legally reflect that they have been yours since the day of their birth? Hallelujah. Um, Yes, sir, I do. So on my children's birth certificates, I have never been in the hospital in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and neither has my wife. But their birth certificates indicate that my wife wife and I gave birth to children in that hospital in Jonesboro, Arkansas. That is how real adoption is in the family of God. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to kick it back to you, Rob. Mm. My kids were old enough when we adopted them that they have memories before their adoption. Yes. And some of those are positive and some of those are negative. And there's been times they've had to process back through those pre-adopted memories. Come on. But as far as I'm concerned, as far as the law is concerned, they have always been my children mm-hmm. and I have no right to disinherit them. They will always Amen. be my children. When I got saved, the reality is I have memories on the other side of the cross. Oh, this is there's good. things I did. There's this things that good. were done to me that are very real. My, and sometimes my. that's popped back up and I've had nightmares and my spirit struggled. But when I come to God and I say, God, help me, God looks down and says, son, I simply have no idea what you're talking about. Based on my records, you've always been mine. It looks to me like (laughs) you have my name, you have my identity, you have my spirit in you. When you talk to me, you cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, son, the things that you're remembering don't even exist. They're not even real. When I was adopted, that adoption is retroactive. It goes back to the day of my birth and it's eternal. It goes all the way until the day when I enter into his presence. Now, if you're out there and you're asking questions about unconditional eternal security, you are terribly missing the point of this story. Mm -hmm. But please do know that as Pentecostals, we do not believe, as you said, Rob, in unconditional eternal insecurity. (laughs) You know, we do believe that we can be with God someday. Now, here's the thing. I knew of someone one time that was left an inheritance and they rejected it. Yes. They said, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. I've known of that to happen once in my life. They disinherited themselves. But God, Jesus bragged real loud, Father of those that you've given me, I haven't lost any of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Come on. That's good. And you just said exactly what I was going to talk about is is they can choose to disinherit themselves, to walk away from an inheritance. (laughs) I can choose should I want to. Uh, You know, a good example of that and. You can say I'm taking it out of context, but I don't believe it to to be. Uh, Jesus is standing there in front of the mob, and they are are basically expecting him to do another miracle with food. Hey, we're kind of hungry, Jesus. In modern-day English, he basically says, I have no food for you. I have nothing but me. And they get mad, and they turn away. And I believe it was with some sorrow and some sadness. He turns and looks at his disciples, and he asks them, 
do you go also? Mm. In other words, I'm giving you a choice to walk away from me. I called you, Matthew. I'm the one who found you at that tax collector's table. And I said, come follow me. Peter, James, John, I'm the one who found you and said, follow me. And here is your moment. I want out of this thing. This is not what I signed up for. He said, do you leave also? And spokesman for the group (laughs) steps up and he says, where Where would we go? (laughs) I mean, I'm going to be honest. Where would I go? (laughs) I mean, uh, David and I talk about this, this often. Uh, We feel like, we feel like, you know, following after God, it's the, it's the best boat in the water. And if, yeah. and if it wasn't, we'd get out of this boat and we'd go yeah. do something we'd else. Yeah, we'd go build my own boat. And, and, and I'd, just, I'd, I'd paddle on and do something different. The last thing that I want to share about that, it also builds off something that you said, Pastor Robbie, it's for those people who have those memories. Yeah. A good, good friend of mine shared a story of a, of a minister that she knew who had messed up and he had a very public falling from grace and uh, lost his papers uh, with with uh, his denomination. And he repented and he got his life right, got his heart right. And he started preaching again with a different denomination. And he's going around, he's holding revivals, God using this man very powerfully. He came to a, a church near my friend and he shared this story with her. And it was the story of a woman who came to him one night at a revival. And this woman said uh, her name and said, I am, I am a prophet. And she said, I wanted to know if there's anything that you would like me to ask God for you. Mm-hmm. And this pastor did his best to be humble about it. But he was quite honestly a little upset, you know, as if I couldn't ask God for myself. And, and so he says, yeah, I want you to ask God what I did to get my papers taken away. Mm-hmm. Well, she said, thank you. And I'll ask him. He went preaching revivals and he came back to that church several months later. And who comes up to him but this dear, sweet little old lady. And he is, I mean, he is primed and he is ready for an altercation. He was as humble and kind. He said, I was ready. I was going to give her both barrels this time. And she said, that question that you had me ask God, I have an answer for you. And he said, suddenly this great terror hit me in fear of somebody would know what I had done. And I I shakingly said, yes, ma'am. And she said, he told me to tell you, I forgot. Oh my goodness. Yeah. My goodness. My goodness. (laughs) I forgot what you did before I came to you. That's what it means to have assurance is that God gives himself in scripture what they call a Manasseh moment. I have forgotten all of the toil in my father's house. So basically I've forgotten everything before this moment right here. And as you said, you've always been mine. I've gotten so excited and so happy. I don't know who's supposed to go next. Somebody take it. (laughs) I think when we look at this uh, and we're going to turn it to you, Pastor Robbie, to take us through, we don't want to leave people thinking that as we've said, when it comes to salvation, oh, I called upon the name of the Lord. Now I'm saved. I can do anything. (laughs) There's some necessary steps in this thing. Uh, But I wanted to add, you said something a minute ago, uh, speaking about the adoption process of your, of your three children. Um, And, and we say this uh, in in this manner, but uh, whether people understand this or not, 
They're your children. They're my children. They're your children. And that's how God views us. We are his children. I refuse to answer when someone says, which ones are your real kids? I say all of them. That's exactly. None are Pinocchio. They are real children. (laughs) None of them are fake kids. Amen. Uh, You said there that, especially in this manner, your adopted kids, they may have memories of what took place. Sure. But you yourself... Other than what they tell you, you have no memory of what took place. Isn't it a beautiful thing that that's how God works? I I was sitting here thinking about that. The the very fact that God, when I ask him to wash my sins away, I come and I talk to him about what's happened. But he himself looks at me and says, son, I only know what you're telling me. (laughs) I don't I don't remember what you've done before. You asked me to forgive you and that's gone. And thank God that when I look at him, he looks at me and says, all I know is what you're telling me right now, son. I don't remember anything from there. And I thought, man, as you were telling that, that was hitting me in my spirit. Somebody out there needs to realize that today, guys, that when you go talk to God about your past, God is sitting there saying, the only thing I know about your past is what you're telling me right now. I wasn't there. I didn't take part in that. My son paid a price for that and it's done. And so Pastor Robbie, I just wanted to throw that in there, but I want you to build for us now in this podcast. And, and, And guys, there's a reason we're talking about this today. I'm believing uh, this is this is Thursday before Super Church. We're believing this Sunday for one of the largest harvests of souls we have seen, yes. not just at Super Church, but on church Sunday morning. And we want somebody to get a hold of this and realize the reality of salvation and the assurance of Jesus Christ. But also what's after that? When we say what what's next, give us the necessary steps. Give us the necessities, as Peter tells us and, and Scripture tells us. I, I will. I, I want to very quickly, and I know that we're we're going to be pushing the clock pretty heavily here, but well, I, I want to very quickly just just share something what you just said now in regard to adoption. Nobody taught me this, but as an adoptive parent, me and my wife made a commitment that we would never uh, speak ill of people that were in our children's past before we were there. No, not at all. No matter what happened, good, bad, or ugly, we would not do so. It's not my place to place judgment on those things that I don't know. That's right. What I was going to give my children was a gift that I felt like I could give. And that was a place that was a home that is loving, safe, and secure. Right. And an identity in which they could process their own memories in a healthy way through the context of love and security. When God accepts me into his family, God does not tell me how I should feel about the the things I went through, either those things that were imposed on me by others or the things that my own brokenness and sinfulness imposed upon myself. What he does is gives me a family, uh, uh, a place of love and safety and security through which I can begin to become healthy and process through who I am in Jesus Christ. That's a powerful thing. So I want to point out what happened here in Acts 15, because Rob, you just shared with us how we can have this assurance. The reason they needed the assurance, the Gentile believers were not struggling to know whether they were saved. They were born again. Their sins were taken away. They were baptized with the Holy Ghost. They were baptized in water. They were rejoicing.
noticing this is what happened in the letter from James and the Jerusalem church. They said in verse 24, since we have heard that some of us whom we did not commission have gone out and have troubled you with words, unsettling your minds. They were not having an internal struggle about their salvation. They were having a struggle that was imposed upon them. Somebody troubled them with words. And unsettled their minds. That's right. So let's settle this. <laughs> let's settle this. Yeah. So that's it. They're saying, well, we want to fix the stuff that's come from the outside. Yes. And so if you're listening to this podcast and others have caused you to question your salvation, when you know what God has done in your life, I hope this podcast will help you stop being troubled with words mm-hmm. and stop having your mind unsettled yeah. and realize what God offers you. Now, at the end of this letter, it is noteworthy They didn't just say, you're saved, boys, have at it. You know, you're saved, girls, we wish you the best. They said in the last part of this letter, they said beginning in verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to put on you no greater burden than these necessary things. And they list four. For those that are saved, they said there's four things you've got to do. First, abstain from food offered to idols. Now, for most of us in the United States of America, this is not a context we relate to real well. And actually, the Apostle Paul took up this question at length in 1 Corinthians. A simple answer would be this. The church was saying, if you are going to follow Jesus, your loyalty belongs to Jesus. And nothing in your actions should cause a question of where your loyalty lies. So if somebody says we've sacrificed this food to Baal, you don't eat that food. Not because Baal is real, but because you want it to be known that you have loyalty only to Jesus. So they're saying it's necessary that your loyalty to Christ is well known and that we separate ourselves from idols. Second, you abstain from sexual immorality. The the King James Version uses the word fornication. Plain and simply, this is what the church sent out. They sent a letter. They said, we don't want anybody to unsettle your minds or to trouble you with words. But if you are born again, born again people don't have sex in ways that is outside of God's design. And by the way, in a first century Jewish context, that meant that you were having sex within the context of marriage and marriage was between one man and one woman. That is the understanding that's established there. So they're saying, outside of that is sexual immorality. So they're saying we're we're not calling your salvation into question, but we're telling you it's necessary for those that are saved to stop having sex that disagrees with God's design. The third is from strangled animals. I'm going to pass and I'm going to come back to it in a second. And the fourth necessary thing is abstain from blood. Okay. Now these days when we read this, sometimes we're going, why strangled animals and why blood? Well, if you've read the Old Testament, beginning in the book of Genesis and all through it. You read statements like life is in the blood. The blood was sacred. They wanted, God wanted humanity to understand that that, that that the life force inside all living beings was blood and that that was something that needed to be dedicated to God. He used that to teach us about the necessity of salvation. Now, I think there's some health issues going on there as well. It's probably yeah. not advisable to, to, to drink blood, but but simply he's wanting us to know that there are some things that are sacred and we should maintain that sacredness. 
as believers today, it is important that we draw distinction between what is sacred and what is secular, right? That we say, I belong to God. And because I belong to God, there are things I don't do. Mm-hmm. I've drawn some distinctions. And one of those, we believe salvation comes through the precious blood of Jesus. So, so his blood is the only one I'm going to acknowledge in that sense. So the other is from strangled animals. And, uh, you know, I read a, 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 an article by a reformed brother just a little while ago that's saying, well, this was just a leftover from the Old Testament law and they should have stricken this down. And I'm just not bold enough to argue with the entire early church that said it seems good to all of us yeah. and to the Holy Ghost. Another said, well, it may have been a desire not to let Gentiles cause unnecessary <laughs> offense to Jews. What it's talking about when it's talking about strangled animals, it's talking about them being killed in a way that did not, that, 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 first of all, did not drain the blood from them. The other is killed in a way that was inhumane. And you can take this or you can leave this. I really don't care. But I think that what they were saying is even in our actions toward animals, Christians need to maintain a certain ethic in the way that we are. You may not know this, but by the way, a lot of animal cruelty laws and even Earth Day and a lot of these things that people think are secular liberal causes actually originated (laughs) right out of the Pentecostal church. It was actually some of our people saying we need to respect the planet and we need to treat uh, things. Quick story. uh, When the... uh, when the Welsh revival over in Wales was taking place in the early 1900s, um, when the people got saved, they actually had to sell their donkeys and buy new ones because the animals would not work because the people were not cussing the animals anymore. Right? <laughs> so they had trained those animals. True oh story of Lord. history. They had trained those animals to work by cussing them. And when the people got saved, they wouldn't cuss and mistreat their animals anymore. They wouldn't hit them and yell at them and, and scream. At them. So the animals would not work and they couldn't figure out how to fix it. They had to sell them and my new ones. Oh my Lord. My Salvation affects everything right down to how you treat your dog. All right. Now, uh, with that, and we can dive into that more if any of our listeners need us to. Uh, but there's a lot of things that do have to do with ritual purity and all that, sure. But general, this is what it's saying. Don't let anybody from the outside trouble your salvation, but from the inside, we need to make sure that we're doing what is right. God gives us great liberty as believers. But it doesn't mean that we're free from the natural consequences of our actions. Mm -hmm. I bought my daughter a violin for Christmas. It's hers. She can do whatever she wants to with it. But I'll tell you this, uh, Rob, if she uses it as a baseball bat, it won't make music anymore. Right? right. It's hers and she can do it. And then she can turn me mad at me and say, Dad, you bought me a useless violin. It's a terrible baseball baseball (laughs) bat. Sometimes we're like that with God. God created us to make beautiful music and to show his glory. Then we want to go and we want to engage in sexual immorality and worship idols and do all these things. And we don't know why we're still broken, why we're still all messed up inside. And God's saying, son, I didn't create you for that. That's right. Mm -hmm. I created you for something better. Salvation is God restoring us to what his design for us was. Uh, I think we're coming up on about... 50 minutes. And so I'm going to yield my time to my brothers. We're going to take a minute and share a little bit of our salvation testimony. So I'm going to just let you guys kind of take us from here as we talk about what God did in our lives and has done in our lives. Well, I already shared a a good portion of it, but the part that I didn't share uh, earlier, I did mention that I did get saved uh, at an earlier age than I was talking about. I was about seven years old and I went to vacation Bible school at uh, my home church at the time. Shout out to uh, Scottsville Word of Life Assembly of God, if you guys are listening over there. so we went to vacation Bible school and uh, they taught about Jesus and I heard the gospel and 
for some reason, it struck me differently that day. I had grown up in church and I had heard about Jesus, but for some reason, I realized that I needed to make him my own personal Jesus. And so I asked the Lord into my heart and uh, accepted salvation that day. And uh, the only other thing that I remember from that day is I was so excited that when my dad came to pick me up, they used to have this really high porch at the front of Scottsville's uh, old church. And uh, as soon as I saw my dad pull into the parking lot, I told my teachers, I'm going to run and tell my dad I got saved. And I ran and I jumped off that porch and they probably were like, no, in slow motion as this kid just takes off through a parking lot where there's a speeding truck coming into the. And so that's the only other thing I remember is being very proud and glad that I just was so excited that I gave my life to Jesus <laughs> that great. I didn't consider the possibility I may meet him if I run out of speeding vehicle. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, that's, that's my story and, and pass it over to you, Pastor David. Well, I will, um, I'll tell you, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor, um, or a preacher uh, and a pastor at times. He says he got delivered from pastoring, uh, <laughs> but um, grew up in a Christian home. Mother and father served God. Uh, I tell people all the time we had drug problems. The drug problem was my dad drug us from church to church to church, whether we wanted to go or not. Right. Um, I remember knowing a whole lot about the experience of who God is. I knew, understood salvation, but it was on June the 14th, 1998. I had went to a church camp with uh, one of my mentors still to this day, Brother Roger Nichols. Uh, and he and I now do church camps together uh, all these years later. So you never know what full circle God may bring you. But uh, I remember on that particular night that God uh, began to move on me. And at Pinecrest, Arkansas, uh, the Spirit the Lord fell on me and I knelt down there at the uh, at the front, wasn't at the altar. Uh, it was actually on the front row, the pew. Knelt down and began to pray and uh, asked Christ into my heart. I had enough knowledge about who Christ was and what was going on that uh, nobody prayed with me. Right. I just remember accepting him that night. And I remember the change that uh, began to happen. And it was just a few months after that. Uh, it was actually the very next night that God baptized me with the uh, uh, Holy Spirit, evidence speaking in other tongues and changed my whole life. And it was just a few months after that in September that I began preaching the gospel at the yeah. age of 13. And here we are uh, 25 years later, um, we'll be uh, 25 years. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, 25 years this year, actually in September. So uh, wow. that I've been doing, doing this. And I want to say that it was something that Brother Robbie, I, I've never regretted serving God. I've never went back and said, oh, my goodness, I wish that had never happened. Uh, not always been easy. Sure. But salvation's been worth it. And I, I mean that. And I'd like to throw it to you and uh, and you share anything you would like to and then close us out on this E5 podcast. I would like to say this. Uh, anybody out there listening be in prayer with us this Sunday. We're believing for the largest harvest of souls we've ever had. Amen. We want to see Super Church. You invite people to that uh, Sunday night at five o'clock at our new location over at the former Clarksville Cinema, but also to church. We're preparing and prepping to see more souls saved in one day than we ever have before and Praise trusting God. God for it. And I want to tell you that the final sentence of that scripture, Brother Robbie, that you were talking about just a few minutes ago, minutes ago, it said this. It said, if you do these things, you shall be well. You shall be well. Guys, 
this salvation that Jesus brought us, sometimes we make it so much more complicated than it truly is. And I'm not saying that this is an easy walk. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying you can do whatever you want. But we've told you this today. It's for everyone. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, call upon Christ Jesus, you shall be saved. We've we've explained that assurity, the fact that when you do that, you do get saved. There's no doubt about it. You accept Christ, your name's in the book of life, and in eternity you will reign. And then we come to the place where we understand that there is some requirements, though. Yes, sir. You talked about those necessities. We can't just willy-nilly do whatever we want. But we begin to do those things. But it told us that at the end of that scripture, and I wanted to throw that in there, if you do these things, you shall be well. Amen. Amen. One of these days, perhaps I'll share my testimony at length, but I, I want to give a very simple snapshot. I'm going to pray for you. Um, it was 1996. I was in a blue Mazda four-wheel drive pickup truck, barreling down an old dirt road yeah. with uh, my girlfriend at that time. Today, she's my wife in the seat next to me. I was uh, a young man that was pretending to be a Christian when I was not. And about half a mile to three quarters of a mile down the road from my parents' house, the Spirit of God spoke to me and convicted me of my hypocrisy and told me if I did not repent, I would be eternally lost. I pulled the truck over and began to cry out to God for salvation. I prayed a simple prayer that day. I prayed, God, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to live different. In that moment, I'd been to the altar lots of times, but something happened I'd never known before. I knew that my sins were gone. I'd been adopted by God. I was born again. I had a brand new nature. I looked over at Anna Mae in the seat next to me, and I said these words, we're serving Jesus now, okay? (laughs) And she raised her hands and said, okay. And with that, we began a journey of faith together. Now, she had a more personal encounter with God later. uh, (laughs) but, But this is what I want to say to everyone that may be listening, you don't have to to pray a professional prayer, but as I pray with you, cry out to God if you need him and he will save you. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for all that have taken time to listen for about an hour now on this E5 podcast. I pray that if anyone is listening here whose heart is not right with you, sin has separated them from you, God, and they realize that they're in need of a transformation. I pray that faith would rise within their hearts, that the Holy Spirit would enter into their home, their vehicle, or wherever they're at, and Lord, that they would call out to you, confess their sins directly to you, repenting of those and turning from them. And as they do, your word says, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to cleanse us and and to forgive us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that there will be forgiveness, there will be grace, there will be salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Well, thank you very much for joining us here at the E5 Podcast. We look forward to being with you next week. May God bless you. Have a great week.